Lights, camera, action. Hello and welcome to another edition of Movie Madness in association with Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined this week by Kieran Fletcher, second appearance on the podcast, first time on Movie Madness. The match that we'll be getting into today is 2008's In Bruges versus 1998's The Big Lebowski. Kieran, how are we doing today? Hello, I'm good. Thanks for having me on, Luke. All good, I'm all honored. good. Um, hopefully everything sounds okay. I'm recording from a different setup today. It all sounds good to out. me. Yeah, you sound like you. I'm happy. Everything uh, wiped out in my house, but the show goes on. Mm-hmm. Keenan still away. Should be back next week. Um, I know this is one Keenan? of his favourite films. Where is Keenan? He was on holiday and uh, uh, only recently got back. Doesn't have time to watch the films. So uh, right, in Bruges, he's one of his favourites. So he'll be hoping it goes through to the next round. Good. All right. I'm doing this for you then, Keenan. Um, as always, we will start with the news of the week. I'll ask you your opinion on a couple of headlines and then we'll get into the films. Okay. So here we go, the news of the week. J.J. Abrams has explained that A Quiet Place, the John Krasinski movie, was originally envisaged, originally envisioned as another Cloverfield spin-off. Interesting. Yeah, I can see that. Um, so we had Cloverfield Lane and we had um, the Cloverfield Paradox, which is probably Yeah, so that's, that's not a to talk trilogy, <laughs> isn't it? So Because 10 Cloverfield Lane, I thought was really good. I really like that film. It's got um, much, Gleason in it, hasn't it? So Yeah, it's much stronger than the um, the actual yeah. initial Cloverfield. But that's I thought that concept name? was really good. It's um, got the guy from the IT crowd in. Are there? Yeah, it came out. It came out on some kind of holiday. It may have been Boxing oh, Day, know. maybe. I'm oh, which one? The it. Paradox one. Yeah, yeah. Isn't has the Paradox one got um, Will Poulter in it? Have I made that up? I'm not sure. It came out as a um, quite forgettable. Yeah, like it came Netflix out on like Boxing special. Day or something, didn't it? Yeah. And it's one of them where you're like 20 minutes in, and you're like, okay, I'll give this a bit more of a chance. Like, yeah, okay, it's actually shite. Yeah, no, I have watched it. I can't. Um, I can't really remember what happens. Don't I think? Doesn't some guy's arm sort of melt or something? <laughs> That's um, the guy from the IT happens. crowd. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, is it? Oh, it's the Irish guy, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. And in similar news, screenwriter Joe Barton says the script yeah. for the latest Cloverfield film is almost complete and production okay. should start shortly. He says this will be a direct sequel to the 2008 original, and oh, he's cool. working with J.J. Abrams. Yeah. I, I'm more for things like that. I quite I quite like the uh, the concept of it because you only you only see the monster at the end of um, Cloverfield, don't you? So people will be tired of me saying it on here. I loved Cloverfield. I loved all the marketing going in. Yeah, but the first I, time I went, I didn't to think see it, it was bad, but I just thought it I, it went on a little bit too long, don't you think? I had four copies of it on DVD because anytime I told someone I liked it, they'd go, "If you like it so much, take it with you." <laughs> yeah, but I remember. What would this been? 2008, and I've said on here before, I'm awful with scary films. But yeah. right now, I was terrible. Yeah, I, I remember know, going I, to see it. <laughs> Do you not remember when we went to watch Women in Black and then you got scared by a bin bag on the way back? That was a scary film. But actually, <laughs> I went to watch this. I went to watch this with a kid from school, and this is in Virus I don't think I've told this story before. Okay. I went to watch it um, 
with a kid from school and we got in and I think it was a 12A, yeah, but it was yeah. one of them. Do you remember there was a thing where they would put like warnings on the box office and they basically said, just so you know, this is a bit scarier. Accompanied by adult, is that right? I can't remember. So yeah, but we were over 12. Yeah. So, um, yeah. <laughs> but it basically, it was like, just so you know, this is scarier than it could be. Are you okay with the motion sickness, everything moving? And mm. um, I said, I mean, we could watch something else if, um, like, if I'm, well, who I'm did not you too watch fast. A uh, kid I went to uh, school with, you wouldn't know them. Right. Yeah. But um, yeah, in the end, I think we went to watch Goal instead because uh, yeah. I don't think he took too much convincing. And I later saw it on DVD, but that was only because I saw all the marketing after and just yeah. loved the whole Blair Witch style of it. Yeah. Um, it's just not a in, film that you need to see on the big screen, really, is it? It's no. All, it's literally shot via a cam, so it kind of works on, on a TV yeah. screen. Justin yeah. Long says Ben Stiller is still very reluctant to make Dodgeball 2. <laughs> yeah, good. We don't need another one. Dodgeball I, was great. We don't need another one. I like it, but having seen what Ben Stiller did with the Zoolander sequel, it's like, I'm not sure you should be. <laughs> yeah, just leave leave things alone. Why can't we write new things and you know get I, new things filmed? We need to stop doing all these sequels to everything. So, what else came out recently that it, they left it alone for years and then they just did a sequel? They're doing it with a lot. They're doing it with... Um, do you remember there was one with... Um, I think it might be Jeff Bridges as well. Jeff Bridges and um, Ryan Reynolds, R.I.P.D., Oh, the rest in peace department. They've, yeah, they've just done yeah. a sequel for that. Like, who the hell was asking for that? <laughs> yeah, well, Ryan Reynolds is kind of just doing side missions at the moment. I feel like he's well, just we, won at life. You you can go back and so it's a bit of a shameless plug. You can go back and we did an interview with a character from Dodgeball, and yeah. he had to admit basically Ben Stiller had the option, and they were all aware of this. We're basically going to fund one of Zoolander two and Dodgeball two. Yeah. And yeah. all of a sudden the phone went quiet. Well, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, yeah, I, I, this whole kind of sequels to thing. Even um how long how long was the sequel to Anchorman? Like when did that that was a good gap, wasn't it? So we we found that recently. The, the only reason he made that was the studio basically said they would finance the big short yeah, but only yeah. if he did an Anchorman 2 first. Oh wow! Which so may, maybe explains why it felt yeah less oh, of a passion wow. project. Yeah. Um, Sorry, it's my phone going off. Um, the uh, the Matrix as well. Like, what's what's all that about? Yeah, I checked you out know? of them fairly early on. As soon as I thought the first would look like the Blue Dabba D video, <laughs> I, I couldn't get immersed in it anymore. The yeah, the new Matrix film was just so yeah. Uh, I don't know. We won't go there. In the latest edition of Sydney Sweeney News. Mm-hmm. becoming quite a feature on this podcast despite Keenan not knowing who yeah. she is or what she looks like. Also in your day-to-day life, may I add. Yeah, absolutely. So Sydney Sweeney says she one day wants to publish the character books that she writes for each role she plays. That's While cool. the topic of method acting continues to reverberate around Hollywood, mm-hmm. she says she was told by a mentor that she should always maintain a level of distance from any character she plays to avoid getting lost. Yep. Um, she did say yep. this is hardest with Cassie because she identifies a lot with her. Well, she's, yeah, I mean, she's not far off the character herself, is she? I mean... No, she says that she was similarly uh, objectified while at school. You said, yeah, I'm sure she... The thing is, I'm sure she was objectified at school, but she's also kind of within her maturity learned that it's worked to her favours. 
Well, she Sydney Sweeney like, knows that her fans like her for more than just her acting. Let's well, be honest. She's not stupid. Yeah, Keenan asked a couple of weeks back, like, what would I know her from? And I, <laughs> yeah. I said, well, I'll, yeah. I'll have to explain this one after. Yeah, exactly. Um, I said, I'll probably just, if you just Google her name, then that'll probably uh, she is, show you where I we're mean, going. But. Like, she is gorgeous and she is very talented and she's capitalized on that. And she's, you know, she, she puts photos of herself up in her underwear all the time, doesn't she? These aren't being leaked. No, so. I think it's, I think a lot of them are actually from, essentially the pictures that she took for euphoria yeah and didn't she say in an interview that she was going to keep doing that as well because i know there's a lot of um people saying things like she's been objectified and stuff but i'm pretty sure i I read an interview where she said that she wanted to carry on well we've both seen empowerment to her we've both seen euphoria and she says that there were certain scenes where she told Sam Levinson, like, I, I don't feel comfortable. I don't know yeah, well, why I'm good. topless in this scene. Yeah, that's good. Where were they squeezing those scenes in? I don't understand <laughs> yeah, what they could possibly have been. You saw her breasts as much as you see her face during Euphoria, let's be honest. But, I mean, she is a fantastic actress. She she can really act. Well, like, she's, they, They're all she's, great in Euphoria. So. She's picked up about six different jobs in the last, like, two weeks. Yeah doing yeah. like horror films that Barbarella one I know nothing about it but you just yeah. see the poster and it's like okay I can see I can see why you were the casting choice for this oh, one. Oh yeah the yeah I think I saw a, a photo of her in, in role for that I I think she would have been good as um as Barbie in the, the yeah. Margot Robbie um Ryan Gosling thing. But. I'll continue uh banging the drum for her to do Knocked Up 2 in about 10 years time maybe as what um essentially Catherine Heigl's role okay yeah that could work what what do they have in Knocked Up is it a boy or a girl that they have uh I mean just basically remaking it because they're still carrying on that universe with Paul Rudd and Leslie Mann yeah I mean alongside that isn't there talks about Superbad I I think I saw somewhere Um, that um Jonah Hill said that he would do Superbad 2 but only if it was set in an old people's home, in a, basically, in a nursing home. <laughs> yeah, he basically said I'll do it as like his last job ever. Which tells me yeah. he, he's well, he's got a new thing coming on Netflix. Which I mean, celebrity is gonna gonna celebrity, but he basically yeah. has filmed one of his therapy sessions. Uh, that's quite Shia LaBeouf then. Yeah, very. Yeah, he's weird. Uh, he's been quite open on um, Instagram and stuff, hasn't he, about his struggles with his yeah. body and things like that. Um, um, I just think fair fucks to him, like because. He, you know, that he, when did some of those press tours are weird looking back at them. Very young. Have you, yeah, do you ever watch back those clips of the press tours where it's like, obviously, you are known as the fat kid from Superbad and he looks yeah, so exa- broke, exactly. so rough. Just completely just like typecast him as this is who you are. You're just a, yeah. a little fat kid with curly hair. And, and then he's grown up with like extreme fame around yeah. that. It's crazy. You um, could say the same about McLovin, couldn't you? Yeah didn't go as well for him but they say he's pretty chilled he's happy just if he doesn't do another acting role again he's he's set anyway so he's happy just doing the producing and stuff like that i don't think any of them have done anything wrong have they publicly i think actually jonah hill got in trouble for saying um the f word i know that he said that yeah i think i apologized after yeah but that was hanging out with tyler the creator wasn't it i think michael sarah just seems like the soundest Mm. kid ever just gets on he he just these actors are lucky when they effectively just get to play themselves like yeah, an exaggerated yeah, version. Yeah. And Michael Sarah has just been. I like how role. they flipped that on. Um, this is the end. Yeah, well. I think we're going to so do that at some point. 
Yeah, it's a really good film. The last question I have for you before we get on to the film. So Taken 2 was released just over 10 years ago, and I'm using that as an in. We're not going to talk about that. Yeah. Me and Keenan were talking last week about a particular English movie star and saying, why are they not bigger than they are? And I asked him, if you were to go back to 2008 when Taken is set up, could Clive Owen have done the Liam Neeson role in Taken? (laughs) Yeah, he could. Um, Do you know what? Do you know what's funny about Clive Owen? Um, I don't want to, I don't want to do the whole name dropping thing. But um, so one of my uh, drama school teachers, a woman called Jane, she is really good friends with Clive Owen. And every now and again in class, she'd come out with like stories about them to just kind of riding around London in the car and stuff. And I, uh, I kind of, I kind of forget that he's like a film star because she just used to talk about him like he's just, just her mate. Um, well, we had a whole thing last week about he in like 2008 he does Inside Man and he does um, Children of Men, which are both massive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and it's yeah. like, why, why did he not kick on from here? His next thing is like a second hand uh, character in a Jason Statham film. Yeah, exactly. But that's kind of how I feel about Clive Owen. He's just like, he just kind of disappeared. And well, I, I asked, so he disappeared. And I only ever used to hear his name casually in class. It, he would just get name dropped all the time. He'd be like, oh, me and Clive. He did but do a bit of theatre. Well, yeah, that's where she knows him from, I believe, is theatre. And uh, well, I, the, my initial question was, um, if you go back, if you swap him out for Daniel Craig as Bond, how mm-hmm. much better or worse are the films? Um, so what, Clive Owen starts in Casino Royale? Yeah. Did Casino Royale come out in 2008? Uh, Charles, it, yes, 2007, 2008. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, Daniel Craig was, um, was very, very good as James Bond. I think he's what, I think he's what the kind of Bond yeah as needed i don't think you can say that much against daniel craig no i don't like the whole way that it ended where he was kind of refusing to to film it and then they just yeah. kept chucking money wasn't it i think it was 160 million he did it for or something stupid like that i think a lot of actors saw covid and yeah. some went the way of like um don't worry darling where just the press gets mm. horrible and some of them saw a way like they need to make bond and they effectively can't do this without me like who, do you, um, who do you want for the next Bond? I know that's a big question, but I don't know. Who's your running? Like, if you could pick, I I didn't <clears throat> dislike the Henry Cavill suggestion. No, he's um, too big. But no, if I, 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 I I've that. always I've always liked Michael Fassbender in the role. Yeah, Fassbender. See, Fassbender, I could get behind. I know he is a list. Oh, could you? Um, <laughs> but anyway, well, I don't think. I don't think I'd want to uh, get in front from what I've heard about Fassbender, <laughs> but because people are like throwing around uh, Tom Hardy as well. But Tom Hardy's just no, no. I've got a real issue with Tom Hardy. I think he's a good actor, but can we not give him James Bond as well? I feel like that with I, Henry Cavill. What you want him to be Superman and James Bond? Well, that was what I was going to say. Is I think is put paid to that now that we know he's yeah. coming back. They didn't yeah. even give people a chance to watch. He's been outed from the Black Adam as well. Have you seen that? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not happy with that at all. But let's get into the films we've got here. Let's kick off with In Bruges. Focus Features proudly presents a new film shot on location in Bruges, Belgium. Why Bruges? I suppose it's cheaper. An Uzi. I'm not from South Central Los Angeles. I want a normal gun for a normal person. From Academy Award winning director Martin McDonough comes a hilarious twisted pleasure. 
Back off, shorty. You don't know karate. Ah! I also have the bullets that make the head explode. I know I shouldn't, but I will. Apologies if that just blew your ears off because no, it's good. <laughs> it yeah, took mine fine. off as well. Yeah, so, guilt stricken after a job gone wrong, Hitman Ray and his partner await orders from their ruthless boss in Bruges, Belgium, the last place in the world that Ray wants to be. Same question I ask Keenan every week. What mm. do you think the critics thought of this? Um, when it, as in when it was in the cinema. Yeah. Um, I think they probably be be quite behind it. I think it's quite an artsy film. It's the sort of thing that critics like. I reckon it, it did quite well. It's got dialogue that can cut glass, performances akin to a tightrope display, and constantly shifting alliances that keep us guessing. Yeah. Martin McDonough's affinity with meandering, melodically rhyming dialogue and volcanic eruptions of profanity serves yeah. him well in this witty, wordy film. Is that, that's the reviews of when it came out, is it? Yeah. yeah. While, a pl- while a plot does kick in, the film is at its most fun when these two are just milling about, delivering McDonough's exquisite dialogue. Mm-hmm. In I Bruges agree. is one of those hidden gems you don't necessarily hear much about, but once you've seen it, you can't forget it. I agree. Its European setting places additional gravity on McDonough's Irish Catholic notions of reckoning, the knowledge that we have to pay for our sins, no matter how great or small. And to take us into our first topic, marketed as a much faster paced shoot 'em up than it ultimately is, go for the scenery, stay for the Act 3 climax, and Ray finds. Yeah. Was it marketed as a shooter? So it was marketed as like a gangster comedy along the lines of lot stock and two smoking barrels and snatch was what it was compared to. Yeah. It's definitely not those films. I think the whole point of, um, in Bruges is that they are, you kind of forget that they're hitmen. They are hitmen, but you kind of forget that that is what they do. Whereas, uh, snatch and lock stock, you're kind of constantly reminded that this kind of gritty world that they live in is their reality. But, um, it kind of um, in Bruges is just it, it almost feels like a fantasy film. I think in, it, like Bruges itself is painted as this kind of mystical place where uh, it just revolves around surrealism, and Ooh. you know it's it's just yeah it, these these two kind of fit into it because they are hitmen, but no one in Bruges knows that they're hitmen. <laughs> yeah, the 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 movie poster doesn't do the film any justice at all. Um, yeah because yeah. it is a He's comedy ice cream hasn't it yeah it is very funny but i I don't think he ever even gets ice cream well i had this on dvd for years and yeah. this is the first time i watched it was yesterday mm-hmm. usually i see something sold as a black comedy and it puts me off because yeah. it, it feels like um you know there's a thing with comedians now where they market it as people are really going to hate these horrible things that i'm saying here so you should definitely watch this and hero how much um, I'm pushing the boundaries. Oh uh, yeah, quite Ricky Gervais. Yeah. Well, that was that was what I would usually associate with the black comedy. Probably before I educated yeah. myself more on it. To be fair, yeah. And sure. so I didn't really. <clears throat> I think it's maybe the. Um, uh, I think maybe it's less so the comedy, but I think more the topics that are explored because i mean at the end of the day a child uh, can i say what happens Jim? yeah 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 i mean at the end of the day a child does get his head blown, <laughs> and that's quite horrific like you know there's that scene where he's looking up at the bullet and then i think there's that trickle of blood and then he just drops to the floor yeah um and it covers it i think it covers religion really well 
this idea of especially we're going to get onto that yeah obviously I've I've got Irish Catholic connections but I mean um yeah the the poster is very it doesn't give you anything really does it he's got a gun in his hand and I think he's got that pink ice cream but it doesn't doesn't tell you anything about it. I knew nothing. And I can imagine if you did go in and sit down and you thought you were getting like shoot em up or lots yeah, or whatever. It's definitely not that. After about 10 minutes, you'd be thinking, oh God, what's this I'm in mm. for? But it was only, we did Seven Psychopaths on the podcast yeah. about yeah, six yeah. weeks ago. Yeah. And a lot of the reviews were basically like, well, if you liked in Bruges, then you're going to love this. This is essentially, if, you, different if films, you cast though. the net a bit further yeah well yeah um i was never i never disliked colin farrell but i was never i've never seen colin farrell as a guy of like well, i've got to go see this colin farrell's in it yeah see that's do you know what that's exactly how i feel about colin farrell because of in bruges well i'll ask you this first then um yeah. favorite colin farrell roles that aren't in bruges um the ones that aren't in bruges well i've just watched the banshees of inner I'm going to see that with TK um, next I'm, week. I'm pretty sure he's going to be Oscar nominated for that. Um, I'd be very surprised if him and Gleason weren't Oscar nominated for that. It almost feels like a follow up to In Bruges. It's very. He won a Golden Globe for this, I believe. For uh, what for In Bruges? Yeah, okay. him and uh, Gleason were both nominated. Yeah, he wins. Yeah. Um, what's the uh, what's the Disney film? I am. Is it I am Mr. Bank? I don't know. I, I took down a couple Google I liked from him. I'm going to Google it. When, when I think um, of him, yeah, I think I, of Phone I Booth. Banks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, say them, say them, Mr. Banks. There you go. Um, he's actually really good when he does do comedy and horrible bosses. Yeah, yeah, horrible. Yeah, he is great in horrible bosses. I want you to trim the fat. Yeah. <laughs> and I like um, that he's doing he, this uh, Penguin TV show now. Yeah, well, he was he was almost unrecognizable in. Um, in the Batman, wasn't it? Yeah. You wouldn't be watching that and thinking that's Colin Farrell. But in um in Saving Mr. Banks, he plays um it's she's yeah, so the the, the lady that wrote Mary Poppins and was kind of reluctant oh, to, I know the film. to Disney. He plays her Isn't Tom Hanks in that as well? Yeah, yeah. Tom Hanks yeah. is, is uh, Walt Disney, I believe, and he's trying to there buy he's trying to buy the rights to um, Mary Poppins. He plays her alcoholic father. Mm-hmm. And he, I just, I just think he's a great actor. I think he's so, so good at acting. And I think his career has been like tarnished by kind of mistakes that he's made. Um, I think he's had like alcohol addictions, drug addictions and stuff. I think he was a bit of a love rat as well. But like, if you, if you take away all of that, his actual acting, I think he's amazing. I think he's so, well, so good. I wrote so down underrated. in my notes that this was the first time I think I'd ever seen him cry. Oh yeah. yeah. In a film. Yeah, because a lot of the things, like the things I've listed off there, phone booth, he is actually very good in. And I, yeah, as far as an acting performance, I don't think that should be downplayed just because of the type of film that it is. But this but is one how did, in which he's did, been able those, to flex his muscles. Did those far. scenes get you though? The you know the ones because it it is such a deep um, thing to like get your head around. You know, I killed a little boy. I think he doesn't, he doesn't mean to do it. I think his actual empathy and his range is really really good in the I think. Um, the good thing about this, and I felt the same way with um, Seven Psychopaths, and I felt the same way with The Bronx Tale last week, mm. is it's always good when, I think it's a sign of a better film when it, you're reflecting on it the next day rather than yeah. coming out of the cinema like that was the best thing I've ever seen. 
Yeah. Like in sounds a weird phrase to say, but like I was up at ten past six this morning and I was thinking mm. about this thing, this film in the shower because it was the last thing <laughs> I watched before I went to sleep. But just thinking of the little things <laughs> that I wouldn't even were you consider. Thinking of, was it Ray Fiennes or Colin Farrell? Um, I wouldn't put you down as a Gleason man. <laughs> yeah. Um, <The> midget. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Can we say I, midget? It's kind of quoting the film, so I feel like midget, it's Midget, yeah. They, they kind of cover that, don't they? Um, I mean, I, I, I'm, I enjoy films, don't I? So if I come out of a film, even if I dislike it, I'm, I'm pretty much straight onto IMDb. Yeah. Looking at trivia, looking at who's in it, who's done what. Um I try not to. I, I always make a point of not reading um, IMDb reviews before so I watch a film. I've made a point of that. Like they kind of sully what's going on. The only one that it gets me with, and I always forget if it was you or Sean I was with, mm. was for Only God Forgives with Ryan Gosling. Um, and I haven't, I haven't watched Only God Forgives. Okay, so it, so it is Sean. Sean. We were That's citing, the one where he says like eight words, right? Yeah, we were sat in the McDonald's in town. And yeah. I remember just looking down and I was only trying to see how long it would be because I was trying to work out what time I'm going to be out. Yeah. And I just remember scrolling past that bit of trivia and being like, hmm, I can't. <laughs> That's yeah, not a good sign. with that expectation then. Yeah, but then completely kills it. The, the other one that I always reference is when we went to see Apollo 13. Um, I watched that with you. Yeah. And I was saying that as well as the many issues with that screening, yeah, there was we went in. <laughs> not screening. We went in and it was like nine point eight on IMDb and came oh, out yeah, and it was down it was. to like seven point four and it was like yeah, Whoa. it was. We watched it. I think we watched it the day after it had come out and yeah. it, I think we thought it was going to be some groundbreaking piece of sci-fi and it just and, and it was I the, the, the rocks were alive. It was the rocks, wasn't it? The rocks <laughs> yeah. were little like crabs or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in oh the original God, script screening. for this, yeah, yeah, Ray and Ken were British. But when Colin Farrell and uh, Brendan Gleeson came on board, the characters were changed to Irish to suit their natural sensibilities. Yeah, and we good. we go big on this so often because there's accents that probably and maybe people listening to us, as far as accents go, I don't think we have a particularly strong one. Like trying to bend no. an Irish accent has to be far more difficult than bending a typical like wherever accent that's far more mild and a lot of the time when you're asking these actors to do accents you must know probably a day into filming whether or not they can do the accent well and it's just mental how many films you get where it comes out and the person just butchered the accent like you could have saved so much time and just changed the character to be irish or english or whatever yeah it just takes it takes you out of it um i mean so this this film is is based off a play called The Dumb Waiter by Harold Pinter, and the play itself is just about two hitmen, and they're stuck in a job, um, and they're basically just trapped in this room for the entirety of the play. Um, and Harold Pinter is he's an English playwright, but he he was kind of big on there's there's a thing called like Pinter pauses where there's just moments of silence throughout the film and stuff. And I feel like that works quite well with like the English accent. He, he kind of, his plays are all about gritty English sort of subjects. Um, but I think that's probably why McDonough wanted it to be English in the first what? place to pay homage to that. But then I guess if you've got two Irish actors, there's no point yeah. 
in making them English for the sake of making them English. When you've got Ray Fiennes who comes in, I think he comes in to kind of remedy that because he's proper Cockney in it, isn't he? He's and it's not like you have to explain why one of them's Irish and one of them's English, yet they grew up together. It's it's a fairly easy one yeah. to explain. Yeah. In- I mean, yeah, the, you never, in the film, you never discover, they've. I mean, they've quite obviously got like a, almost like a father-son relationship. They are friends, but they've got like a father-son relationship. Um but it's never explained where they met or, no. or how they're introduced because you've got, uh, I think Ray Fine's character says you brought him in. So, you know, you know that he, yeah. he joins because of him. So maybe they knew each other before, but I think they're kind of, yeah, I think he kind of, he brings him in to sort of keep an eye on him sort of, sort of thing. But yeah, you, it doesn't, it doesn't need to be established that they're Irish because you, you know that they are, you can just hear it and it's not, well, it doesn't impact the script at all. We're on a, we're on a similar wavelength here, so that's a good sign because I've right. got down a lot of the talk about this script is that it's written like a play. Yeah. And I know that Martin McDonough, if I'm not mistaken, did initially make his name as a playwright. And do you um, find it to be true? So obviously you do, you've answered that, that it's written like a play. And if not, yeah. if so, how would you explain to someone the comparison that this can be written like a play, yet does take place, I guess, more than one destination. Um, because you could, I mean, it, the actual, so the plot isn't isn't similar to The Dumbwaiter, but the context of, in terms of, um, I don't know what I'm trying to say, it's the actual, the characters themselves are based off the two characters in The Dumbwaiter. You've got kind of the older Carrot wait. Let me let me search the names. I think they're called what? Gus. I think one's called Gus. If I ask you in why well, you well, yeah, but it, would it would it be fair to say that as much as it is in Bruges, obviously, we really yeah. just have you only really need about enough characters that you can count on one hand and they really do get the most out of every single one of these characters. It's far more about the conversations they have than the setting that yeah. they're doing it in. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, so they're called, the characters in the Dumbwaiter are called Ben and Gus. So Gus is, uh, yeah, Gus is the one that uh, Colin Farrell would have played and Ben is the one that Gleason would have played. And it's very similar, that kind of hierarchy between um, Gleason being like the father-ish figure. Um, and it, it doesn't it doesn't need the kind of theatrics Theatrics again isn't the right word. Yeah, I know. I know. What you mean. I'm, talking, I'm talking about film, and it doesn't need the kind of special effects, the over-the-top budget. Yeah, the um, you know, the fireworks of it because it is literally just set in a room, and you could do apart apart from the ending where there is the kind of shootout. Apart from the ending, it is all just very minimalist. But then you've also got that juxtaposed with just really, really kind of nice beautiful shots of Bruges and it does just look like a I mean they say in the film it's like a fairy tale town and it's kind of juxtaposed with that but the actual characters themselves um, it, the story is the relationship between them yeah. two it just happens to be set in this place where it's almost like time stands still and we- um, and everything kind of happens in, in Bruges separate from the rest of the world almost it's a very we did yeah, um- kind of get that right we did Saw last week and yeah. I, I forget their names, but you'll see where I'm going. Yeah, the, yeah. the writers of that said the best advice they would have to anyone that is setting out trying to make a film 
yeah. would be to make it so that it could be adaptable to the stage. They said you don't even realize how expensive yeah. a film is until you realize that thirty thousand doesn't feel like thirty thousand. And yeah. so they concocted something where it's one guy at one end of the room, one guy at the other end of the room, and a man led between them in the middle. Yeah. And then you really then have to focus on every word that is between these people because you're not relying on anything else. Yeah, well, that's it. Because then if you've got, uh, I mean, if you've got a play where it is just two people on stage, you need to do justice to the text and justice to, you know, when you've got two people opposite each other on stage, all it is is reacting. That is all acting is, is just reacting. But the writing has to be strong. I mean, I'm not going to name the play that I watched last weekend, but I went to watch a play last weekend and it was just two actors on stage and it was only like a scratch night play. So this play was only an hour long, but it felt like four fucking hours. (laughs) The writing was so bad and it was sort of 10 minutes in. I, I wanted to leave and you can't do that in theater. You can't just get up and walk out. Well, you can, but you're a bit of an asshole if you do. What? And the writing was so bad, and it was these two people, and it, it wasn't even their acting because they didn't have anything to act with because the writing was so shit. In, so, in terms of maximizing every word, um, the, the word fuck and all of its derivatives yeah. are said 126 times in this 107 minute film. You've got an average of one point, yeah, you've got an average really? of 1.18 fucks per minute. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, that, I've, that, I thought it was less than that. Maybe, maybe that is just. Um, <laughs> well, I'm going to ask you later yeah. on if you if you think there was more dudes in the Big Lebowski than fucks in this, and I do have the ratio combined. I think I think that was, yeah okay. I, probably, I think there was probably more dudes, but okay, go on. I think it's testament to how well this film was written that I didn't see any Tarantino comparisons now. Yeah, having looked sure. through the amount of critics reviews I have just from doing this podcast yeah. usually any kind of normal conversation between two characters with a questionable morality and people yeah. just jump to it being Tarantino yeah and so yeah. to not hear I, it I for think this Tarantino does that really well he takes um, he takes mundane topics he, and makes them screenable he does it perfectly but people, yeah. he's just far more like pop culture related and all of these other things yeah to the point where this doesn't feel like a ripoff. We've we've all seen films where you go, "Oh, that feels like a bit of a bad Tarantino yeah, ripoff." Where you'll that see true. two gangsters in a car, and one of them just goes, "Oh, did you watch that new episode of?" And he's like, "This doesn't feel it like a natural conversation." Whereas yeah. his usually do. Um, in order to create the feeling of the holiday season, Christmas decorations were kept in some streets of Bruges until the end of March. The town council made an official communication to the people of Bruges explaining the reason why. You've referenced how beautiful Bruges looks in this film. Yeah. Should this be replacing Die Hard as the Christmas film of the year? I've never I've never seen it as a Christmas film. Did you see it as a Christmas film when you watched it? I didn't, but I pay attention now to uh, just... Yeah. I've never looked at it as a Christmas film. Ever. There's some orchestral numbers that sound Christmassy. And mm, ever since we did Lethal Weapon a few weeks back and they referenced Christmas like 17 times and it's like, well, why was this one not picked yeah. as the Christmas film of a diehard? I kind of yeah. just keep an eye out now. To, one, to understand why you set it at Christmas because there has to be some kind of reason for it, particularly when you're not using it from a marketing perspective. Yeah. Well, that's wasn't is, isn't that what Die Hard was? Wasn't Die Hard no, so really marketing? What's the story behind that? It. I think they just set it at Christmas because it was him coming home for Christmas and that was a way that it matched up with the story. 
right. it was only okay. that people kind of picked it up as a Christmas film that they made the most of it. Yeah. I mean, I, that's, yeah, it's weird because I do, I do think of Die Hard as a Christmas film. Yeah. But I've never, um, I've never thought of Imperish as a Christmas film. No. I guess now that you said it, I mean, I'm just trying to like play in the movie in my mind. Um, yeah, you've got like, you've got the kind of, um, fantasy elements, haven't you? You've got the kind of mystical-esque stuff, but I, I always just looked at that as, as sort of the surrealism of the place. Yeah. If anything, it, it, it'd almost be like a Halloween film, if anything, I guess. Well, me and uh, TK did something last year and we did about the best Christmas scenes in non-Christmas films. Yeah. And it does. I, there was no scene in particular that I could match up from this. They just happened to set it at Christmas, which I found interesting. Yeah. I in mean, of, the whole, they, they cover Christianity, you know, in, yeah. in quite a lot of detail. So, you know, if we're going to look at Christmas for for what it's meant to be, I guess it's meant to be about yeah. Jesus and stuff. And they, um, they do cover, you know, it's one of the main themes of the film. So I, I guess, I, I mean, yeah. In, in terms of the setting for the, the rest of the film, Ray says, I grew up in Dublin. I love Dublin. If I grew up on a farm and was retarded, <laughs> Bruges might impress me, but I didn't. Yeah. So it doesn't. Yeah. It's not held up very well in terms of, um, politically correct that's not the worst thing that's been said no and Those just worst <laughs> the last thing about, about christmas the, i think the last lines of the film ray says there's a christmas tree somewhere in london with a bunch of presents underneath it that'll never be opened and oh, i thought yeah. if i survive all yeah. this i'd go to that house apologize to her mother there and accept whatever Take punishment whatever she sentence. chose to me yeah. prison yeah. death it didn't matter because at least in prison at least in death i wouldn't be in fucking bruges yeah yeah um as I referenced, Farrell and Gleeson were nominated for Golden Globes, which Farrell won. There was a deleted scene missed out of this where yeah. Harry's strict moral code gets a further insight. A young yeah. version of him played by Matt Smith. Yeah, I know. I've watched it. It's out. It's on YouTube. <laughs> it is out there. Okay. Yeah, he discovers a, uh, his partner holding a dead woman in a club, so he marches into yeah. a police station and beheads the man who did it. Yep, 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 yep. Um, the filmmakers decided to cut the scene as they said the CGI decapitation looked fake. It was rubbish. Yeah, it was rubbish. It looked rubbish. I'm glad that they kept that out because there was no need for that anyway. No, because we... You don't need any more insight into Harry's character. You know what Harry's about. And sometimes, because they've spent the money on it, there's a tendency to use it. Like, why would we waste it? And it sounds yeah. like it was a good good thing they didn't. It just... it just, There's just no need because it's like we were saying earlier. I mean, Harry is is in the film in the end as the you know protagonist basically but is that antagonist but i mean it, yeah he, i get what you mean he he's in it because he's in it but really the story is about um them two you know it's you don't need any kind of backstory to harry that you kind of you kind of get a little bit of uh sympathy for him because he has that scene with his kids doesn't he what well, where ask he you- says bye I'll ask you about and this. I you know that he's not coming back, but other than that, you don't really give a shit about Harry. I don't think it's meant, you're meant to, really. If we talk about Ken, Harry, and the kind of morality going throughout the film, yeah. in the party scene, he mentions that he was married once to a black woman who was murdered by a skinhead. Yeah. The skinhead was then killed by Harry as revenge or retribution. Harry's his boss, and Ken <clears> has put himself into his debt. And it's mentioned then towards the end of the film, I'm eternally in your debt, Harry. So... Yeah. There's a big thing going right the way through the film, isn't there? That's pretty much implied, and it's been discussed, I think, by 
the actors themselves that Bruges kind of represents some sort of purgatory limbo, or limbo yeah, or yeah, whatever yeah. you want to call it. Yeah, that's what I've always seen it as. And I thought to do with the just simple morality, um, the fact that Harry has these principles, which we see at the end of the film, and even just him apologizing yeah. to his wife after the outburst, what's he called it, in an yeah. animal object? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Shows that there's some level of humanity to him. And does that make him a more interesting villain to you? Because he isn't just Mike Myers walking down with one thought in his mind and swinging a knife. Yeah, it's almost... Um, but I think it's probably what a lot of... Uh, I mean, hitmen exist, right? I mean, yeah. they, they, they exist, they're real. So, like, I think to them, it, it's not. it's never personal, is it? it it's a job and it's a code. And I think he's, um, he, I don't even think he particularly wants to kill Ray. It's just he stresses he needs to because, you know, he, Ray killed, he killed the kid. You should. And, um, and it's, it's more about the fact that he, he has to go there to kill you him. You should watch him. Um, Gross Point Blank, which we did do on here. It's one of Keenan's favorites. It's, um, okay. Oh, his name's gone for me. Um, John, he's in Hot Tub Time Machine, which feels disrespectful <laughs> to, to, <laughs> to single it out. I don't, that. Yeah, don't link those two. This is the film with De Niro in, right? No, um, it's Dan Aykroyd. Oh. And <clears throat> what one am I thinking? John Cusack. John Cusack and oh, Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, yeah, okay. And he's a hitman who returns back to do his high school reunion. And oh. he <laughs> falls in love with the girl that, he had a thing for when he was younger, but you've got this idea of the code and the hitmen, and they've got a good musical soundtrack through it. And it's a similar kind of comedy through it. Yeah. So it's, it's it's not quite the um, dramatic work that this is in terms of an hour and a half. It's, it's very good. I think, yeah, Harry, I I don't, uh, are we meant to, I don't know whether we're we're meant to even, I don't even know if we're meant to dislike him because Mm. he even lets, um, he lets Gleason's character off, doesn't he? Like, if it wasn't for well, he's, he was going to, yeah, yeah. If it wasn't he's, for um, you know, Ray Farrell, still being alive, yeah, returning, then it all would have ended on a pretty positive note, apart from the dead kid. Well, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting how the framing of a story can tilt your opinion because we empathise yeah. with both Ken and Ray, despite them yeah. doing and saying worse than anything we see from Harry. Harry's yeah, whole thing yeah, is, yeah, yeah, you yeah. killed a kid, so you have to die. And it's like, boom, like, well, how dare you? Yeah, I know. Yeah, because you're meant, to, yeah, because at that point, it, he's introduced, you know, so far into the film that you've already developed this affection for the characters. Yeah. You've, you've developed this kind of, um, this, they, they've both got likability, even though they kill people for money. That's it, for money. So if you're going to kill a kid, just personal. be charming like Colin Farrell. If you're going to kill a kid, just, <laughs> we'll yeah, just be charming and then you'll be grand. But, Have an Irish I mean, accent. Yeah, and probably be be that handsome as well that'll probably yeah. be that far. but i mean yeah i think maybe if he was introduced earlier on you wouldn't um yeah i guess uh, i guess you wouldn't sympathize as much with the other two i mean when when do you find out that he killed the kid uh, about, about a half third an hour of the way through. Yeah, about a third of the way through, I think. Well, if, if the film started with that incident happening, then we panned back to him in England 
and he yeah. gets a call to say a kid was killed and he says right i can't have that and the film followed him tracking the guy down to kill him we'd be cheering yeah. for him it's just, it's just yeah you would yeah, yeah yeah because it's yeah you're trying to get rid of the the child killer i mean you don't find out until again going back to the dumb waiter because it is basically the dumb waiter this film you don't find out until the end that um he's been sent there um gus has been sent there to die basically yeah. and it's up, yeah. it's up to ben to kill him and you find that out at the end and obviously at the end you've you've developed such an affection for these two that um it's yeah it, it that, it's almost like yeah it's, it's like you said the, the way that the film's framed and the way that if that play was framed you find out at the start that he needs to be killed you just wouldn't care about the character no. at all because you know what the end is before you you've developed the actual personality of it well the way they get us on board with him is we just see both sides of his mood very quickly. Like he comes across almost as like a hormonal teenager. Yeah. He, in the space of 10 minutes, we get his mm. joy at seeing midgets being filmed. Yeah. yeah. Then his <laughs> disgust at them not waving back at him in yeah. the street. We see him out on the date and he's being nice and they're doing the back and forth with the jokes. And then she goes to the toilet. Someone I, complains the scene, about the I smoke. I love that scene. <laughs> I love that scene. That's one of my. That is one of my favorite scenes. I think of any film ever, where he's just. You can just see his brain ticking behind his eyes, where he's he's trying not to comment because the Canadian says, "What does the Canadian say? Your girlfriend blew smoke in my face." Yeah. Oh no, no. What he, he says? Fucking un- unbelievable, doesn't he? That's the line he says. Yeah, and then he says, "You may as well say it." What's yeah. And he's and it goes on for I don't know maybe about twenty seconds, but that's that is one of those pinter pauses. That's what that's the sort of thing that um, in the play, you know, the dumb waiter. There's pauses like that all the way through where it's just these characters wanting to say something, but they don't. Yeah. And you really you really get that so well in that shot. You just see Colin Farrell's like brain just ticking behind his eyes, and eventually he's like, "I have to say something." And then he hits the woman because yeah, she yeah. was she had a bottle in her hand, yeah, and he's doing the explaining. And then we get this whole other thing of him. He's actually being set up, and yeah. the guy was going to uh, threaten him with the gun, and then it turns out the gun has blanks, blanks, and then you get the. Uh... Again, you get the dated views. Um, well, he his comment is homophobia, isn't it? I mean, that's it, it doesn't hold. This film doesn't hold up particularly well in a uh, more politically correct world. Um, and then the guy gets Baldwin. Exactly. Um, exactly. And then he's very forgiving, actually. I mean, <laughs> um, yeah, he goes out for a second date. I mean, I don't know what the choices were like in Belgium as to whether uh, maybe he didn't have much choice, which seems to be the way and how many people are going to accept him even without knowing that he's a hitman. But that that's probably my favourite scene, to be fair, is the, is the back and forth of the tables turning and then him returning and explaining his night. There was another scene as well, says, which uh, yeah, I don't know. If fucking it, light off. Yeah. Yeah. And there was another scene that beforehand he was going to say they're going to a restaurant and then he's going to go, well, that's definitely going to go downhill then. And then you would jump straight in to the punch in the bottle without anything that had happened before. So you don't get any of the actual restaurant content. So you were going to jump straight to to the right before of him standing up and then punching him. Yeah, that's shit. So they made the right choice again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, let's go back to the kind of message of the film. Except for the flashback, Ray wears a single outfit throughout the film while Ken has several wardrobe changes. Some would say it's because Ken ultimately, uh, Ray, his character doesn't really change. Like he's settled for what he is. If it is, if we're calling this purgatory or whatever, he, he just wants to be freed from it. Basically he wants to get this guilt off his shoulders for feeling like he owes Harry something. Yeah. And then eventually does get that release. Yeah. If you look at it from like an artistic point of view and then he's, um, he kind of remains dressed in that way. I suppose it's because his character is just almost do is he's almost like a ghost, I guess. Yeah. And Ken is changing constantly. He's, he adapt- yeah, he's adapting. He even gets into, um, he gets into a new suit for the end scene, I believe. So he, he essentially re- removes his jacket and unbuttons his shirt is as far yeah. as he goes. Yeah. Okay. And then yeah. one of my favorite scenes that I noted down was, um, them in the gallery and they're looking at the paintings yeah because it reminded me of ferris bueller's day off okay yeah and there's yeah, a scene with yeah. cameron looking at the painting where <clears throat> it looks like a kind of a happy family and then mm. the closer you get in there's actually someone screaming yeah yeah that's no, that's true that's, and there's yeah, a thing here with true. ray looking across him and in the moment he doesn't have any appreciation for it and then when you come to the last scene it's effectively the painting has been recreated you've got all the animal yeah. heads the skulls yeah the people yeah, looking true. around and not knowing what the hell he's doing. He there's a part where he grimaces. Um, he's looking at a painting and they're shaving. It's what it's like they're shaving with blades to kind of flash yeah. off of uh, this character's leg, and he does like a grimace. But um, but then yeah, he kind of he kind of doesn't react all that much. He's not into the no. religious aspect as much. But then at, at the same time, you get that really poignant scene afterwards where he's he breaks down crying. Yeah on the actual um uh whatever that's at on the, the the stool yeah it's on the it's on the it's on a on bench, bench i think on the bench yeah, yeah they're sat on the bench outside and he starts breaking down crying and i just think that's juxtaposed quite well well his, um, his moment of turning things around is basically when he tries to tell harry that it wasn't a little kid that he's killed and he doesn't have to stand by his principles and that's why you're supposed to believe that he's kind of redeemed himself in that yeah. moment i'm not sure those two things level out like i feel like if anything no. you've just made it worse because you've walked into the middle of a film set when someone's trying to gun you down but yeah. in the eyes of uh the god in this film he's done the right thing yeah in terms of the church scene it's um kieran hans isn't it if i've pronounced his name right yeah. he's uncredited yeah, yeah. in the he's- role yeah, um, Irish actor. Yeah, is is there a right way to shoot a scene in which a kid gets shot in the head? Because usually you would do it, and so it's inferred that it's happened. Yeah. In fact, the way that it was shot, I briefly assumed it was almost like a dream sequence. Oh, okay. I think, um, yeah, it, it's very, it is very visceral. That that kind of that shot where it pans out and you you see the kids literally looking up. Yeah, and also he's like the cutest kid ever. Like, <laughs> what what is his his sin list? It's like, um, I think his sins are something that are just so trivial, trivial as well. It's like being bad at maths, being moody. Yeah, um, and there's there's another being one angry. Is, I think it is. Or something yeah, like that. being angry, or and you're just like, he's just such a good kid. 
But even even after that scene pops up, it doesn't. It's weird because it doesn't immediately make you hate Ray. No, you feel bad for him. Yeah, exactly. You're not like Ray's fucking, you know, gunned down a kid because it was just a tragic accident. I mean, they they asked the director, and I think they said to him, "What was it going to be? Was it going to be like the the priest was a paedophile or something like that?" And he was like, "No." Yeah. When they actually were going to flesh it out, it was going to be that. Harry or whoever else was involved in this was trying to buy some land from him that he was refusing to give up in the name of the church. Uh, so it's actually Harry that's the bad guy. Yeah, and so they just yeah. uh, gunned him I down. Always, uh, do you know what? I always assumed, whenever I watched that scene, I always assumed that it was the priest was a wrong end, like touching kids or something. Yeah. Maybe that's because of the history of what's actually happened in the Catholic church, but that's yeah. what I assumed was going on. The last scene I had down on my list to speak about, which probably highlighted one of the best ways, because they do keep quite a serious tone in this while also managing to get the humour running like right yeah. throughout. They have this moment where they go into the hotel. Yeah. And the landlord is standing between them. In. Yeah. Well, no, the landlord's standing between them and Ray is... Upstairs, he's right oh, the back shoot, there. The shootout, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. Harry's coming back. Yeah. And they're doing the, look, if you go outside around the corner, you can shoot me from there and try and get me. Yeah, yeah. What, what is, why does Harry think there's enough distance between them to just chill there and wait for a shot? Um, well, he doesn't even try and make his body smaller or anything. He's just on the canal boat, basically saying, ping me if you can. Oh, um, when sorry, when Ray's floating away on it, yeah, so Ray's yeah, floating away yeah, on there, yeah, yeah. and he um, says, well, he's, what's, "What's the line?" He says, "He says he's like there's no way or something like that." It, yeah, he literally I, I says don't, that. Yeah, yeah, I don't think he he thinks he can even make the shot. He's just he's just very childlike, isn't he? he there's nothing about him that screams to you, professional hitman. There's nothing about either of them that screams no. to you, professional <laughs> hitman. You're not going to have James Bond getting away on a canal boat and then looking at someone with a no, you know, whatever, and saying, "There's no way." It's just that neither of them should be hitmen. They should be doing, I don't know what they should be doing, but they shouldn't be killing people for money because yeah. I think that's the, the genius of, of the film, isn't it? You, you like these people, but then when you break it down, if it was your mum that they'd killed, you'd fucking hate them. Yeah. yeah. So, you know. Well, after saying before, I thought my favourite scene was um, when they he goes back and there's the whole fire and blanks and all this. I actually think it's yeah. when... Ken is taken up to uh, the top of the church. Yeah. And they're going up the stairs and they have this stand down at the top where he's essentially he's at peace with everything. Yeah. And he's saying, whatever you got to do, you do it. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not. Gonna, and it's shot I'm really nicely. You've got the lighting. Yeah. Yeah. You've got the lighting just about shining down on them. Mm-hmm. Anything that's kind of shot in a church like that, when you have the guns to it on top, is just really cool with how it's yeah. uh, bouncing off each other. That whole scene is really the, nice as well. Just the way that it starts, um, the way that it starts just underneath as well. When he he sat down having a pint, yeah, and he just kind of gestures to him, gestures to him, just very like yeah, casually, come over. Take, just come and take a seat. There's no, um, it, yeah, it, it's it's just makes him uh, apologise for going on his kids. Yeah, exactly. And I think it is again. <laughs> it's, it's just the code, isn't it? It's just the code of what they do. There's no malice like between them. It's just one of them has broken the rules and the other one is a stickler for the rules. Hence, he blows his own fucking brains out for them. 
You yeah, know? I think it was as tense as I felt in the film is when mm-hmm. he's deciding whether or not to shoot him at the top because the rest of it feels kind of like their mates. What will be will be. Yeah, their mates. With they? him, you kind of ah. Yeah, I know. I know. Because in the grand <clears throat> scheme of things, from what we've seen, he's done nothing wrong. He doesn't even fire a gun on screen. No, it's true. You don't. You yeah yeah. But then he he has. He, when you break it down, when you flesh it out, and you think actually, in the world, yeah, this yeah. character exists. He's what mid mid forties, maybe late forties. Yeah. I mean, from what so you think, he we've must been have told, been killing people from the age that Ray joined. Yeah, from what we've know? been told, he kind of took this life because his wife was killed yeah and Harry his wife was avenged and then he's kind of acting in ray's best interests and ultimately decides not to kill him is willing to sacrifice his life for him well even that scene where he's sat on the bench in the um in the child's playground and he's about to do himself in and he he can't do it yeah he just can't do it but then it's funny because that scene shot so well that, you know, when he's walking towards him with the gun cocked and, you know, it's loaded, you, I, I feel like, I feel like maybe he would have if Ray hadn't, <laughs> if Ray hadn't taken the gun out himself and put it to his head. I he feel says, like maybe he would have done that. But then as soon as then he, he feels bad for him. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's that guilt. As soon as he remembers why he loves him sort of thing. A great yeah. day this has turned out to be. I'm suicidal. My mate tries to kill me. My gun gets nicked yeah. and we're still in fucking Bruges. <laughs> fucking Bruges. Yeah. yeah. It's, so, it's just such a great scene. There's so many great scenes in that film. Well, we'll come back and I'll ask you your final best scene come the end of it. But we do have another mm. film to get into. So let's get into <clears> The <throat> Big Lebowski. Jeff Bridges. Life goes on, man. Ow! John Goodman. Because the whole world's gone crazy! Julianne Moore from the creators of Fargo. Where's the money, Lebowski? The Big Lebowski. It's down there somewhere. Let me take another look. Rated R. Opens Friday at theaters everywhere. Ultimate LA slacker Jeff the Dude Lebowski, mistaken for a millionaire of the same name, seeks restitution for a rug ruined by debt collectors enlisting his bowling buddies for help while trying to find the millionaire's missing wife. Yep. Same question. What do you think <laughs> the critics thought of this? Um, when did it come out? 98. Uh, I don't think they liked it sorry my phone's gone. what a great silly movie okay the dialogue <laughs> is riddled with moody witty cursing and unequaled wordplay and all yep. sorts of sarcastic nonsense <laughs> i uh, uh, i do you know what i don't want to all right we'll I get mean, there we'll, we'll get into it i don't want to yeah. slag this film off no a, a frantic mishmash of fan. comedy, mystery, and cinematic trickery that, while it can be overwhelming at first glance, is one of the most unique and entertaining films in a generation. Yeah, no, that's, that's not true. We'll, the comedy we'll largely centers itself on Bridges, whose blissfully nonplussed reaction shots <clears> always <throat> provide a grounding effect for the rest of the movie. And finally, yeah. an indulgent spoof. Big Lebowski isn't a straight gutter ball, but it's no strike either. <laughs> that's good i like that 
That's perfect. I think that's a really, really good. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to sum it up. Well, who wrote that? Does it tell I you who wrote it? it? It it would have at the time, but yeah, <laughs> that's so really that. good. I like that. Jeff Bridges wasn't the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, whatever choice to play really? this role. The initial names they had down were Robert Duvall, Anthony Hopkins, who turned it down because he didn't want to play an American. Robert Duvall hated the script. Gene Hackman. The guy they really wanted to give it to was Marlon Brando. What the fuck? No. I mean, yeah, I can't see any of them playing that role. I thought, do you know... Do you know what's weird? I thought you were going to say um, Keanu, but thinking about it, it no, too he early. Would have been and too he was young. still he would like the handsome young. guy there yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Um, the thing with Marlon Brando, if you go back to listen to any of the trivia, really from The Godfather onwards, yeah, he loved putting his own stamp on things and changing the dialogue. And in this, every well, Marlon Brando is one of the best to ever do it. Yeah, well, every um. Dude, yeah. People think a lot of this is improvised. Literally every single one of those, even pauses, is written in the script. The mm. only person that was allowed to improvise was um, John Torturo. And that was did because they, he was willing to stay later just to show they, them what he could do. Did they not give um, John Goodman improvise kind of allowance? They say that? effectively anything that he says, anything that any of the main characters say, down to the ums and yes. Is all scripted. Are all scripted. Hmm. I mean, the Cohen brothers—they are, are geniuses. So I guess, yeah. I, I guess that makes sense. But I would have thought some of Goodman's stuff with um, Steve Buscemi would be improv because it just—they're those two. The relationship between those two is my favorite thing about this film. We're going to speak about Buscemi because I love yeah. the guy. Yeah. Um, a young Charlize Theron was considered for the role of Bernie Lebowski. Uh, uh, I think Tara Reid does it quite well. <laughs> yeah, let's, you, let's start on Tara, Tara Reid because I've got, we're going to get into all of these characters, but mm. Tara Reid, the late yeah. 90s, she just goes on a tear. Like she pops off just looking like she does in this. This is her first major role. Yeah, Tara Reid's gorgeous, man. She then does Urban Legend, Cruel Intentions and American Pie in the next 18 months. Oh, really? And then it's basically downhill from there. <laughs> she's made her money, I guess. What's Tara Reid? Really like? is, is she happy? <laughs> I hope she's happy. She, she put a post up for Halloween. I'm going to Google her. Saying that yeah, she was that. the uh, queen of hearts. Oh, yeah, I've just seen it. Okay. Look, at, look at every card that's on her in that costume. Okay. Every one of them's a diamond. <laughs> Clever. But no, that she wasn't being clever. <laughs> she, she she's trying to be the queen of hearts, and she's dressed in a load of diamonds. Oh, oh yeah, okay, yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Oh yeah, Tara Reid's Halloween costume had a major fail, but she still looked great in it. I mean, yeah, she's this says here the forty the forty year old Sharknado star. <laughs> kind of tells you what you need to know, doesn't it? Oh, bless her. Um, I think she's good in the film. I think she's, I mean, she's only in it for a little bit, but she's good. She's, but she's just there to play sex appeal, isn't she? So what else are we meant to say about her acting? She's not meant to, um, 
she doesn't give an Oscar-winning performance because the script doesn't allow her to. She says, "Would you sexy. have blown her toes?" As she asked, "Is that what he's? Is it blow my toes or suck? Yeah, it's blow, blow. Is it? oh, to to dry the yeah. um, polish. Would I have blown her toes? Yeah, probably. Fuck it. And probably. She does make a thousand dollar offer. Um, for a blowjob, yeah. One thousand eight hundred twenty dollars in today's uh, today's market. <laughs> for a blowjob, just job. if you needed to try and price up in your head. I, I don't think I've ever had a blowjob that's been worth one thousand eight hundred dollars. What's that in in terms of pound? That's been about that's about fifteen hundred pound, isn't it? Or yeah. It I can't say I've ever had a blowjob that's been worth fifteen hundred quid. Not that I'm doubting and, Tara Reid's ability. <laughs> no, and you are assuming. Uh, when you're valuing this up and I didn't expect us to go down, maybe I didn't expect us to go down <laughs> this route. now we're doing maths <laughs> and sex, but let's go. But, uh, I think the value of that probably goes on it being Tara Reid. And look, I say this every <laughs> week, don't want to sound too piggish here. Oh, you pay it for Sweeney. You, that's what no, you're about to say. That's not it? what I'm about to say. <laughs> Ultimately, <laughs> you're paying for the tail in that instance. Yeah, uh, bragging you, rights. You probably miss out the $1,800 part. You're paying for bragging rights. Yeah, yeah I guess. And even then, is that story worth 1800 No, it's not. It's not. No, I don't it's think... Not worth, it's not worth just paying it. I don't think I've spent 1800 on anything ever. I spent 1800 on rent, and rent... Did not know, know why. <laughs> rent lasts a lot longer than a blowjob does, put it that way. Uh, yeah, bragging rights, I guess. But, uh, nah, fuck it. The dude hasn't got that sort of money anyway. So, he says, doesn't he, I'm just off to a cash point. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, I do, I do like his one-liners. I think his one-liners, um, in response to, like, the more serious characters in the film are really good. It's just the scenes with, like, him and Goodman and Bish- what do you call, you call him, Steve Buscemi, dear? Yeah, Buscemi. Yeah, I mean they're they're like the the scenes that I don't really rate, which is ironic because the whole film is about the dude wanting to get back to just being with those two guys and chilling and playing. You know, in in an early cool. draft of the script, the dude's source of income was revealed. Um, yeah, he was an heir to the adventure of the Rubik's Cube. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know that that's really it good. was joel cohen's idea to drop this and just never say how he has any money yeah because he hasn't got a job has he like he literally hasn't no. got a job he just kind of um because that's the issue that the big the big Lebowski has with him he, weed and he, white russians yeah he purports that idea that if you're unemployed it must be because you're lazy and in this yeah, case how, he many times, <laughs> how many times does he call him a bum in that film yeah a lot <laughs> I had to rub yeah. my eyes because it was weird seeing um, Philip Seymour Hoffman as I know. quite a well not even a secondary character like yeah, <laughs> I know. 6th, 7th, 8th I know. The, the amalgamation of characters in this like the list yeah. this wouldn't this like if you match this up next to like American Hustle which was the thing I remember where it's like look at all these stars we have that wasn't an Expendables film mm. this like <laughs> or an Avengers film yeah a big thing with this also when it came out was that Jeff Bridges does kind of look like this now. He yeah, didn't he then. It was a really weird thing for people to be seeing Jeff Bridges like this. And they just had the success of Fargo 
and they were expecting yeah. them yeah, to yeah, basically yeah. just keep doing the same thing. And then they come out with this stoner comedy. Uh, <laughs> people like, they are, okay, I, mean, I guess we'll trust you because you're the Coens, but yeah, exactly. They are great. They like it, it's annoying because I really like most of their films. So, but this one, I just, um, I just, well, I mean, a, I, so uh, I've always been biased coming into the whole verses that we've got today because In Bruges is one of my favourite films and The Big Lebowski is a film that I've watched a few times but I've never... Some people love it. Some people love this film and I just don't... I really... I don't get it. I don't get it. It's not bad. It's not oh, a bad film at all. I'll give my take uh, shortly but... Okay. <laughs> this is weird because it's a stoner film with no stoning involved. Um, it's almost like a stoner's philosophy yeah film um roger deakins works on this with the cohen brothers as he does yeah he says what they told him is they wanted some parts of the film to have a real and contemporary feel and other parts like the dream sequences he just wanted them to have a very stylized look yeah the dream sequences are great they're really good i think one of the most impressive things in like a year ago i i would not have even bothered to look at who the cinematographer was until I really I started seeing Roger Deakins, Roger Deakins, Roger Deakins. Yeah. When you see artists, sometimes you'll maybe say that feels like their kind of look, like there will be That's, almost yeah, like a signature. tag. Yeah, yeah. When you go down his list, to have the big Lebowski to Skyfall to Blade Runner 2049, 1917, No Country for Old Men, Sicario, Prisoners. Prisoners, prisoners that's, yeah. That's yeah. more impressive to me. Yeah. <laughs> that you can do all these different things to that high level than it is for you to like specialize in doing like a vignette or some yeah, like. Yeah, no, uh, I know. I guess, um, uh, I mean, where was he at his career at this point though? Because this film came out a, a while ago, didn't it? Well, he, he just links was, up with the Coens fairly early on and then. Yeah, 98, 98, wasn't it? The Big Lebowski. Yeah. yeah, 98. Because all of these films, like, 1917 is one of the yeah, well, most beautifully shot films I've ever gorgeous. seen. Gorgeous, yeah, so so good. And then Skyfall, I didn't appreciate. But so is Blade Runner. Blade, it. Blade Runner 2049 is is really really good. One looking. of the goats in that as well. Yeah. Um. Oh, A- ADA. Yep. Yep. She she is she is class. Yeah. Um. That shot. Because we were going down, uh, there's a shot in um, Sicario where the sun's coming down and they're walking into that tunnel and there's yep. one in Prisoners and the fa- the most common one is the hand on the wall with the blood dripping down. Yeah. In this probably, the shot I I uh, noted the most is... I know, I know exactly what you're going to say, or at least the, I think the, I do. The POV bowling yep. ball. Oh, that's not what I thought you were going to say. Yeah, there's okay. a, the bowling ball. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They say that took so long to film because they knew they wanted this shot, but <laughs> just getting the right speed of the roll yeah. was really difficult. I thought you were going to say um, the Julianne Moore. No, I do have a question about her <laughs> later on. <laughs> she's floating. Yeah. Floating in. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, that, that seems, yeah, that is good. Um, I think the dream sequences stand out there, don't they? Because the rest of it is quite, um, the rest of it is kind of straight cut in terms of how it's yeah. shot. And then you've just got these really weird 
dream sequences there's well, no kind of um there's no special effects i guess while filming the um the dream sequence where he's floating the actresses who yeah. played the line dancers reached out to the makeup department to try and play a prank on jeff bridges in which they all applied fake pubes underneath their skirts. <laughs> and as he was flying underneath them and looking up, each yeah. one was just hairier than the next. <laughs> so got to the yeah. end and they just had a whole wig. <laughs> and they had to reshoot it because he's just breaking down. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Um, this that one shows works. that it would have been fun to film on set, which I quite like on yeah. films because I've kind of like done set sort of stuff and it, it makes a huge difference if you can be relaxed. Marlon Brando ran a competition on the set of The Godfather Mm-hmm. as to who would have a crown to be the best at mooning <laughs> by the okay. end of filming. And yeah. I don't know if you've seen The Godfather, but yeah. he he took a crown after mooning the wedding. Oh, yeah. Where okay. there's like 500 people yeah, yeah, there. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. go back into character. How long? I mean, The Godfather films must have taken... How many years did that... that... Yeah, loads, because they had like mob inf- influence and all sorts going on. So. Yeah, because um, those, those films, yeah. For a while. So this is kind of the the stoner aspect of this is sold on the basis that the main character is almost in the wrong film, like everything is going on around him and he's kind of fallen in the middle of it, and is is almost as clueless by the end of it as he is at the start. It's one of those films where you can take the main character out of the film, the film yeah. still progress. Well, he just wants his rug back in the same way that Harold and Kumar he's just, he's just, just want pissed, that White Castle. Yeah, he's just pissed off because, excuse the pun, they pissed on his rug. And it really, what does he say? It really brings the room together. Yeah, five but times he, they say. Uh, <laughs> oh, really? Um, he, you could, yeah, you could take him out of that film. And I I think it would play out the same way. How does he progress the plot? He doesn't really. Not he really. doesn't. He one of the big things in this is that he has no character arc at all. Like he is literally yeah, the same exactly. person at the start from as start, the end. From start to finish. The only the only one that has any sort of character arc is Donnie. <laughs> We're gonna get on <laughs> to him. He's not a great character arc either. No, he's he's this slacker who's just stumbled into like a film noir kidnap plot. Yeah. Um, and he's Which now is a hard cool. like, detective. A cool, it's a cool concept because there are people in life like that and life well, go on your life is very different to my life and we're still yeah. both living it you know 24 7 the only so time interesting he does any real detective work is when he scribbles on the notepad to see what was done before and it's just that stick figure that's just the cock. yeah with the cock yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the policeman pulls yeah. it out his pocket and just throws a dumbbell at his head no it's not a dumbbell is it he dashes it's a cup isn't it a cup he throws it <laughs> okay he's drinking he's drinking a cup of coffee and dashes at his I head i laughed so much when that yeah, just dashed yeah, yeah. at his head just out of nowhere and then um, he kicks him in yeah he says jackie treehorn treats objects like women man <laughs> but it actually it's, it's not a like it's not a bad film it's just i know that there are people like that fucking love yeah it. yeah my i, I old, tweeted my out. old housemate love this film he's oh. i mean maybe it's because he's american but he I tweeted out on on uh, Monday that I was going to watch this. Yeah, and I had more people than usual go. Like, I can't believe you've never yeah. seen this before. Then I it's people messaging me like, "Do you like it?" A lot of people like, yeah. So it actually reminded me of "Dude, Where's My Car?" And I'm aware that if there's any comparisons, then it's the other way around. It's, but yeah, that one of him just kind of trickling through. Now, for what you've said about the film. I watched this on Monday night and I woke up on Tuesday morning and I thought, I thought I'd not watched it properly. Like I was, I was really tired and I thought maybe I drifted off or something. And so I actually went back Tuesday and I rewatched the entire film again. 
That's not and, a good sign for a film, though, is it? Well, it, it turns out I hadn't missed anything. <laughs> well, this and is it. I mean, the whole I know, thing. I know you well enough to know that when you're watching something, you're always on the go on your phone. No, not true. Not with this. If it's something okay. like TV, but I know. I know that when you watched in Bruges, you were pausing and texting me. Well, because I know that part of the enjoyment for someone that particularly likes a film is to know what others are experiencing while watching it. Yeah. But if you've, um, watched, if you've watched a film all the way through and you haven't been playing on your phone, to then finish and be like, right, I need to rewatch this film because yeah. I think <laughs> well, I've missed something. Like, you I, haven't got Alzheimer's. No, it, so. it, was, it was the end. And we are going to talk about the end, but it yeah. was just so unwrapped up yeah, and I is, guess yeah, I guess because is. the the point of it is, the dude never really cares about any of these things. Like he doesn't really care what's happened to Bunny. He just doesn't want her to be dead on his account. They don't really like, give everything a shit about else. Donny either. Not really. Well, we're we're going to talk about Donny because I, I feel this is a someone that's been criminally undersold here. <laughs> but everything else to do with this is is kind of like. You you don't get it, it's resolved off screen, and we're just supposed to take the word for it. Like the last thing yeah. we see of the Big Lebowski is him being accused of faking paralysis, being chucked out of his chair, and we don't we don't see him again. Do you yeah? Do the, you not? The, do you not see him? He he gets he the dude. It's not the dude, is it? It's Goodman, isn't it? Goodman stands him up. Yeah, and he falls. Do you know, what? Do you not see him again after that scene? I don't believe so. <laughs> Because then okay. they go to the bowling alley and they go outside and then and, they yeah, have the fight. Shit happens. R.I.P. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. One yeah. of the things I laughed at most in the film, to be fair, is him driving drunk and high and whatever else yeah. and going to flick his joint out the window, but it's and closed and it sets shut. his crotch on fire. Yeah, yeah. yeah it is a good scene. Um, that is a good scene. But I'll tell you what, though, a scene like that, not that I know anything against... Uh, about being a stoner but uh that that is kind of what it's like you kind of forget that the window shut you know <laughs> so it is like that so. the du- the dude says man 147 times in the movie which is nearly oh. one and a half times per minute what were the stats for um in bruges with fuck it was every 1.18 hmm. okay and fuck it's, it's more than that in this no, the word fuck in this is used 292 times. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't jump out that much to me. When it's Bruce. it's they're they're identically long films, so they actually yeah. use it more more in this. Yeah, it says a lot. With Do you not um, think that's what American films do though? They they chuck a lot of um I mean, we swear the English and the Irish yeah. especially swear a lot, but like I feel like American films do it just I I feel like they almost do it just to be crass. Well, Superbad broke the record at the time, didn't it? Yeah, it's just, uh, I feel like sometimes it is just to be crass. Like, whereas swearing is like a big part of like the, I would say <laughs> the Irish language, but it is. Like, it, do you know what I mean? You swear every yeah. other fucking sentence. In, so. in terms of the bowling, um, with the exception of the dude helping Maud in a fantasy, he's actually never seen bowling. Would you think someone was more or less cool if you found out they were really good at bowling? I think they were more or less cool. Um, I probably think they were less cool, but, well, I 
do I have to pick one or the other? Yeah. So if there's different. a scale here, would you be close? Well, no, if I thought so, if I thought someone was really good at bowling, I'd also assume that they were really good at darts and they were really good at snooker. Like I feel like bowling's one of them things where to get good at it, you have to put time into it. <laughs> would it you impact I mean? your opinion if you found out whether they did or didn't have their own ball? <laughs> oh yeah if they had their own ball then, then they've immediately lost respect points <laughs> the ceiling with john Torturo and, he's, nice. and he's shining it <laughs> yeah i know yeah <laughs> at the same time it's nice to have a hobby like bowling uh, bowling's an american thing though isn't it like we don't do that here not really we've got temping i, but, I mean, weirdly get a craving temping, it got burnt down didn't it i get a craving every so often to go bowling but I also oh, like having... Temping got burnt down in Gloucester, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, then it got came back up. Like, <laughs> well, I don't fucking know. I don't even think it was called Temping when it was Mega Bowl at that point. There was a fire in the ball pit. They had a, yeah, they had a jungle gyms in there. <laughs> yeah. Because I, my I think thing American, with bowling... Americans are bowling thing. You only ever see it in American films or on Grand Theft Auto. Well, they, they say this was the best thing to set the kind of time for them and make give it a retro feel. My thing with bowling is I don't see why people get so weird about having the alley up, the the aisles up, because if I'm You're spending about area. twelve quid for a game, you I'm not even risking I'm not even risking this going down going down <laughs> the gutter. Yeah, no, I get that. I, I hear that still. You want that backup. You want to hit some pins and you've spent twelve I, quid. I love throwing it into the sides and just watching it bounce about eight times first and then hopefully <laughs> taking something out. That's because you're a maverick. And you just want to stir this. My brother up. never used to be able to grasp it, and he used to just, you know, there's people that just throw it in the air. <laughs> which, which brother, Jack? Harry, Harry. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I am surprised at that though, because you're quite a. Um, you definitely don't follow the rules, but I think you, I think you at least respect the rules. I always well, assume. It's not I mean, against you the and rules. I have never, you and I have never been bowling, but. I would put money on the fact that you'd be a straight bowler. Well, I'd like to, I just don't really like losings, I guess. So if I think that, yeah, maybe if I it knew is. it was going to go down the middle, maybe that's probably what it is. Right. Maybe it's not respecting the rules. You just want to win. So yeah, they're not. It's not against the rules, or they wouldn't. They wouldn't offer it up. Yeah, I know. But at the same time, at the same time, just dashing it against the side and hoping for the best. <laughs> well, no, because if <laughs> if 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 maybe we're having a competition and I'm in the lead, maybe mm. I get that little roller thing. For my last go, because that's got to be against the rules. If you go over the line, and if you go nah, over the line, the you best make sure uh, that Goodman's that literally like lines you up. That makes you precise. That's got to be against the rules. I remember we did it. If at, me and you were playing uh, against each other, and we were playing seriously, and you pulled that shit out, there's no way that would fly. There's no. We chance. did it with our football team, and I remember um, <laughs> having a good score, and so starting the ball on the floor and just yeah. rolling it about as slow as I could to make sure it was staying straight, just to yeah. try and make sure I got as much as I needed to uh, get over the line. <laughs> Julianne Moore's character, you've mentioned her. Um, yeah. She was sent the script while working on Jurassic Park, The Lost World. Okay. And Which she was that? actually... The, the third one. Second, I think. But she was yeah. actually pregnant while filming this as well, but didn't tell anyone because she wanted to do the painting in the harness scene. Oh, that's interesting. Was um, there such a thing, do you think, around like nudity at the time in films? Because nowadays they're very fussy about what you can and can't do while, say, shooting a Marvel film, for example. Um, uh, yeah. And what they'll allow you to do while you're under contract. 
she's doing Jurassic Park and then getting flying around naked in a harness. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, uh, this was like this was like almost twenty five years ago. Yeah. I guess she just um, she doesn't. Uh, you you definitely couldn't tell that she was pregnant in it. Like she doesn't look pregnant in it. Uh, I think nowadays you wouldn't get away with it because I don't know. I feel like maybe the contracts are more precise and you, yeah. have, to, you have to tick so many more boxes. But Some... so what? She didn't want. She didn't tell them she was pregnant, pregnant because she didn't want to lose the job or because she, she didn't want to lose that scene. She didn't want to lose that scene. Hmm, interesting. I respect it. Um, I guess, as she says, does the word vaginal make you uncomfortable? Uh, does the word vagina make me uncomfortable? No. Vaginal? No. Vagina doesn't make me uncomfortable. No, Vagi- with, a, with an L at the end, yes. Vagi- vaginal? No, because you know what I do for a job. Um, that sounds really, <laughs> that sounds really <laughs> weird. <laughs> <laughs> you're a gynecologist i'm not a gynecologist i'm a nurse i still um think. no do you um, bat an eyelid one when referring to your johnson i've never called it my johnson i do for news or, of the week every week um, boris is one no i i've never referred to it as my johnson i i always call my my willy my willy and i think that's the is term. is maud a feminist icon yep She's got the good scene, hasn't she, where she's describing Bunny and basically says people have assumed that feminists don't like sex when that isn't quite yeah. the understanding. Uh, for the feminists that I know love sex. They love the ride. So uh, that's from their mouth, not mine. Lots of things from their mouth, not mine. No innuendo intended. Exactly. So, yep, uh, she's, a, she's a feminist icon. Maybe the thing... Say. That made me laugh as much as any in the film was her describing Bunny as a compulsive fornicator. Yeah, that's yeah. Well, she's a porn star, isn't she? I think is she isn't she a porn star? Yeah, she is a porn star. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how that job worked. That <clears throat> she owes him money. Yeah, that yeah, that's weird. That I I never got that. <laughs> she she's doing the work, but then she owes him money for. It, it's never explained, is it? What she owes him money? No, for, or no. Is it? No. Not as not as far as I saw on my two watches. I also I also I, I'm going to be honest. Do, do you know the whole um, the whole toe being sent to um, yeah to the Big Lebowski? I don't I don't get it. Like the toe comes so from the, the the German guys, right? Yeah, the because German they thought they would girl. get the ransom out of it. So they she goes away, just, and they just, think that they can pounce on the opportunity. Because you see that scene of her like driving down the freeway and she's got all her fingers and toes because it's yeah. in on her foot on the gas, doesn't it? So yeah, yeah, I don't know. weird. They know her, and so she's gone away, and so they tried to take and seize the opportunity to blackmail to do it. Yeah. And while it's not even blackmail, just to yeah. And then yeah. the dad, uh, sorry, the Maud's dad, the wife, uh, the husband of. Bunny tries to seize the opportunity to embezzle some money at the foundation and yeah. all the while they reel in the dude who blows the whole thing up. Yeah. A lot well. Does does he or does John Goodman's character? What's John well, Goodman's The Cohen brothers called? Walter. Yeah, Walter, that's it. The Cohen brothers have repeatedly shot down anything vaguely resembling the idea of writing and directing a sequel. 
with Joel Cohen just basically saying he doesn't like them. John Turturro was given permission to make a spin-off in 2019 called Jesus Rolls, which is currently rated (laughs) 4.4 on IMDb, but he did reel in Christopher Walken to join. So if it's just those two... Does it exist? Yeah, it's an hour and 25 minutes long. (laughs) I didn't know that was a thing. No, so I've not seen it. If it's just... Torturo and Walken being weird for an hour and a half. Like that is completely something that I would love to see. So I may, I may watch it. And I didn't know that was a thing. I'm going to no. watch that. Is it on Netflix? No, it's on Plexi. When I looked at which streaming service it was on. Okay, I'll have to um, find that by other means. Walter. Now I'll ask you straight up. First of all, does yeah. Walter steal the film? Uh, no, it doesn't steal the film. Okay, it doesn't steal the film. John Goodman says he's never had more fun acting in a movie than this one. Yeah, I get that. I can see that. Because he just just gets to do shit (laughs) for Shemi for like the entire film. I can see that he's enjoying it. Yellow sunglasses. Um, uh, As me or as the the Usually it's it's a bad guy trope. Is it? Unless you're in like Team Rocket or something. But I'd say yellow sunglasses. I don't see many good guys wearing yellow sunglasses. What colour sunglasses does, does Maverick wear? He wears the aviators and they're just black. Yeah, I seem to remember there being... I don't know if you remember the song Totally no, Addicted say to that, Bass. I wouldn't say they were bad, they were bad guy colours. Yellow sunglasses, I'm associating with a bad guy. I'm going to disagree with you on that one. But it at looks the same like, time, I don't know why I defend them. It sounds like <laughs> usually what they would put in for like the enforcer of a Russian in a film. <laughs> Like a Russian mobster, and yeah, he'd maybe. probably have a toothpick as well. Maybe I, I don't know. I, I sort of just associate them with Vietnam. I don't know why. I don't know why I associate them with Vietnam. I guess I associate them with him, and I associate him with Vietnam. Mm. I also, um, weirdly, I associate them with Nick Frost in Spaced because his character wears them in Spaced. Don't talk to um, me about them too. About about who? What, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost? We were going to do um, You're a fucking Hot hit. Fuzz on this podcast and then realised both of us just hate the film. And so, what, Keegan hates Hot Fuzz? Keenan. Oh, sorry. But Keenan. yeah, and Sean of the Dead. <laughs> sorry. Well, I imagine, I mean, I've now asked him, but I imagine that's probably the the irritating the confusion is getting Keegan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like me getting Luke Bryan. <laughs> sorry, Keegan. Keenan. <laughs> Yeah, neither of us, uh, neither of us are fans. Well, that's, I mean, that's up to you. You're, you're entitled to your own opinion, but you're wrong. So. In, in the original script, it was revealed that Walter was never a Vietnam veteran. Oh, uh, okay. And the whole thing was just, he's been bringing it up the whole time. Oh, just fabricating it. Yeah, like he just yeah. read a book or something. Oh, um, that's upsetting. I thought that he's was got, the only I mean, redeeming quality that he went to know. <laughs> well, so at, in the findings, in the final scene following Donna's funeral, the dude was going to yell at him, "You were never in fucking Vietnam, Walter." Oh, that no, no. I'm glad that that didn't make the cut <laughs> because that would be upsetting. That would be almost like um, the dude is so what you want about him, but I think he's like quite honest and he plays his he plays his cards on his sleeve, man, and, and all that sort of <laughs> when, thing. And if he knew that, then that would be upsetting. If he was just keeping that to himself. When he's doing this, you want a toe? I can get you. I can get you a toe at three o'clock this afternoon yeah, with the yeah. nail polish. Yeah, it's not hard to get a toe. <laughs> him, him pulling the Glock out while bowling is probably my favourite scene in the film. Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's a good scene. 
what's that about? He's saying score at zero, isn't he? Score at zero, score yeah. Score fucking zero. Yeah. <laughs> he says, Smokey, this is not NARM, this is bowling. There are rules. You mark that frame an eight and you're entering a world of pain. <laughs> that's the sort of, you like that scene because that's the sort of thing that you associate with. <laughs> Just the fact he says, across the line, you do not. Just, why, why, why is he talking like that? <laughs> And he says, also, dude, Chinaman is not the preferred nomenclature. Asian American, yeah. please. He's pulling, yeah. a, he's pulling a gun <laughs> while also yeah. being concerned about the, the, the use of... Um, the Chinaman, yeah, the Chinaman stuff in the Big Lebowski, that's... That <laughs> is... He mentions Chinaman twice in like six minutes in different yeah, contexts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's probably where the biggest part where it doesn't hold up in terms Well, of the whole thing is that he's supposed to be ignorant. Yeah, I know. I'm just thinking about in terms of comparing this to in Bruges. I think the Big Lebowski holds I mean, up more. They have a whole thing correctness about there's some awful like midgets killing themselves for like 40 minutes of the film. Yeah, so. I know. It's not well. It's not just that, and they they talk about um, well. I don't even want to repeat some of the stuff that they're saying in Bruges. I like um, this this gun nut doesn't then have a weapon at the end of the film when they're confronted by the nihilist because I assume he's yeah. been banned from bringing guns to the bowling lane yeah, yeah, yeah after the yeah. Market Zero incident. Yeah. He's great though. Right. Wasn't want to do anything on a Sunday, which I completely identify with. When Donnie gets off. Well, I know what you get up to on Sundays. I don't know whether your audience listening does. Well, watch Super Sunday, <coughs> the NFL, and then probably, oh, I used to eat a trifle, but not anymore. I don't, no, you do more than that. I know what you get up to. What are you wearing during all of this? Not a lot. <laughs> Don't leave my bed. Don't leave my bed on a Sunday. Naked Sundays. I That's what Sundays are for. <laughs> Staying in bed and not wearing any clothes. Staying in bed, not really moving much, and just watching the sport. Yeah. I wake up after the UFC. I watch the two Super Sunday games. I then watch the two NFL games, and then I snooze, and that's my day. <laughs> it's worked for you so far. Um. Anyway, back to the film. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> the diner in which Walter and the dude have a cup of coffee during the toast scene is the same diner from the later scenes of American History X. Um, I'm trying to remember the scene. Do you like those crossovers? The, the policeman basically comes in to try and get him to back on side and bring him back in. Yeah. Um, I will say... Is that I prefer- to, does the toast scene uh, happens in a diner? I thought it happened yeah. in a car. No, okay. a diner. Yeah, yeah. I will say I did prefer this film the second time around. And I do think once you know who did everything and you can then see the reactions and how things come together. Is that a hallmark sign of a good film that you have to rewatch it to understand um, what's going on? Because you could argue that with an inception, right? Unless you're insanely clever. uh, I would be hypocritical because my, my real issue with Tenet was people saying, you know, it's on, it's on the third watch, really, that you start to realise just how good this film is. And it's that's like, oh. bullshit. I've watched I've watched Tenet once, and I knew what was going on. Shite film. It was it it was okay. It wasn't as good as um, well. It wasn't I like as the good actors as in it, Island, and that's it wasn't about as it. good as, as Inception. But um, um, you shouldn't have to watch a film on a Monday and then have to rewatch. No, it but at the same time, I do think up. you can pick more things up. Yeah, but that's the same with anything. Yeah, and that's so that's just why I liked it. I just picked up more things the second time around. You could call yeah. it. Uh, I saw a critics review saying it had onion layers to its comedy. Maybe I guess I I think 
I think part of its nature is that it has no real. It does have a plot, but it has no. So the uh, Coen brothers were asked plot. about how confusing the film's plot can be. Yeah, and they pretty bluntly said they think you don't need to understand the plot to enjoy the film. Yeah, I guess I'd agree. And that's kind of what a stoner film is, really. What's your favourite stoner film, by the way? Uh, Pineapple Express, probably. Okay, a good choice. Mine, Harold and Kumar, which I've said on here plenty yeah. of times, but Pineapple Express and Knife Pick. I've been wanting to rewatch that, so... Yeah, I get, they didn't they speak about doing Pineapple Express too as well? That, I think... I think um, start making fucking sequels to stuff. But also, nobody really wants to work yeah, with James no Franco anymore. Yeah, no one's going to jump on uh, Franco anymore. Well, they had, um, people, Zoe, people were jumped on Franco. <laughs> they had yeah. Zoe Deutsch on a podcast recently. I found a Zoe Deutsch, actually. But quite yeah. cringy. There's an interview where basically they're asking her, like, Shag, marry, kill. And yeah. she's just going, I know who I'd kill... And the people who were doing the interview have just done no research at all. Yeah. Because she's come out before and basically just said she hated every second of working with him. Yeah. Well, um, because of how creepy and weird he was. Yeah, and they so, make her really like, shit could it be industry. him? And they're naming all these really nice acts and she's going, no, no, I think it's quite obvious who I But she makes them say it and it's really torturous. But yeah, she says he's the only actor that she's really had an issue with. It's, it's, I mean, that whole phrase, there's no smoke without fire, yeah. is a bit of a dodgy phrase, but there is kind of you know, something to that, I think. Is it a bit of a, maybe a deep question? <clears throat> if you start to hear that some of these things could be happening or true, is it yeah. wrong as a fan to almost just not want to know so you can preserve... Because we we did. Well, I'll just throw a uh, I'll just throw a kind of curveball question back at you. Well, do you still listen to Michael Jackson? I've never really been a Jackson man as well, it is. So but... <laughs> well, not a Jackson boy, no. But I still listen to Michael Jackson, and I really like his music. And I haven't I, watched any of the documentaries about. My stats with R. Kelly was, and I still don't really uh, listen yeah. because it was. Yeah, but R. Kelly's just. It was how many, how many hit songs has R. Kelly had? Well, that's, really? Once he got locked up, I kind of felt like, okay, I'm not putting money in your. Well, I'm still putting money in your pocket, I guess. But it felt like <laughs> something had been done. It wasn't like justice. But yeah, even still, I don't, I don't have any of his songs saved anymore. But if I, I just heard really, Ignition Remix really come on, really like Michael Jackson's music, and because of that, I've deliberately been ignorant. Well, we said and last week. I know um, that's probably wrong. We but. did the Usual Suspects, and yeah, so actually it was uh, two weeks ago. Yeah, and we said, as brilliant as it is, there is a thing where Kevin Spacey comes on screen now, and you're like, mm. well. Again, I don't want to do the whole name dropping stuff and I probably shouldn't say anything because it may even be liable, but I've heard stories about Kevin Spacey ever since I fucking joined drama school because I know people that, you know, my teachers knew Kevin Spacey from 20 years ago, even before all these allegations came to light. And he's always been potentially problematic, put it that well, way. So the usual before suspects. all these kind of lawsuit, lawsuits came, came about, like... The Usual Suspects um, was shut down. Filming was shut down for about three days yeah. because Kevin Spacey had made a move on a young boy yep. who was on yep. set, who it yep. turns out was there with Brian Singer. Well, who there's issues yeah. with as well. 
again, again. I so the teacher that I was telling you about, um, that was well, that is friends with um, Clive Warren. Clive Warren. Clive Owen. Clive Owen. Sorry, that's a that's a Carl Pilkington quote that I've just put there where he says Clive Warren. Um, yeah, so the teacher that's friends with him was in uh, Bohemian Rhapsody with Brian Singer, and she. Well, he got dropped from that, didn't he? Yeah, he he got dropped from that because apparently he was being dodgy with the makeup girls. Uh, so you know, but we'll we'll, just, we'll move on from there. Yeah, I um, just yeah, let's let's not go down this road because let's close this out gross. with Steve Buscemi before we get on to the judging. So go on. I just love him in this. He yeah. he's just there in the trio trying to know what's going on. And just his face in the background of the shot when um Walter pulls the gun out. Yeah. Is just so good. And I messaged you about this. I said this the other week. I stand by my theory that Steve Buscemi is what you would have got if Nicolas Cage had been able to find the right balance with his weirdness. Because he he never found, he was always just, he was either completely weird or he was trying to play it like he's in like National Treasure. (laughs) Steve Buscemi got that perfect balance of where he can be a normal character, but still slightly weird. He's still got that weird vibe about him. He's got, he's just got a weird face. Like I love him in The Sopranos. I love him in Reservoir Dogs. I love him in this. He does. I loved him he, in Spy Kids too. <laughs> I thought I told you about Spy Kids. Yeah, I mean, he's just great. I I just think whenever I look at him, I just think he looks like it, the clown. That's what he looks like. <laughs> uh, but, I love that. I mean, we yeah. had no idea that Donnie was into surfing until the final scene <laughs> at all. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> um, in accordance with what we think your dying wishes may well have been. Yeah. He's yeah. He's just done dirty from start to finish. He he's the equivalent of um, Jerry in Rick and Morty. <laughs> yeah, that is the, who he is. It's the, the same uh, character. The only time did you the Beth in Rick and Morty? Maybe this is common knowledge, but Harry messaged me about it the other week. Well, did you know that was Elliot from Scrubs? No, that's now. Now I've said that the voice will correlate in your head. Yeah, that's no, who it I is. Didn't, no, I didn't. <laughs> no, I didn't know that. Um. How annoying! That, yeah, because that seems so obvious. Yeah, no, exactly. No, I didn't. No, I didn't know that. And the only time Donnie doesn't get a strike is right before they fight the nihilists at the end of the movie, in which he's been because they they he listens at the start. <laughs> is, where did you where did you get that trivia from? Is that IMDb? No, I saw that at the time because they, they really focus on, on it, and I saw it twice. I've never, I've never, yeah, that's true. I've never noticed that. Um, I always thought Donnie got strikes. He does every time other than the end of the film. Um, I thought that was the reason why he was part of their their team. Uh, But he listens in at the start of the film when he's hearing about Nazis and he's hearing about all of this. And then they just don't include him any time at all. So when the car gets lit on fire... Shut the fuck up, Donny. He fears the worst. Yeah, he fears the worst. And then uh, he just curls up in a ball and then we get pure... Nam from uh, Walters. He's going, call a medic, get the choppers. Yeah. That question about does he steal the film? I mean, do you think he steals the film? 
I don't think he steals it. I he, think of maybe my those two are my, maybe my favorite part. When I think of them. the film now, I'll think of Jeff Bridges, but when yeah, he's the first when I think of my mind. favorite thing of the film, it'll it's be Walter and Buscemi, and I'm going to yeah, ask yeah, you a similar question to me that too. in just a second. Me too. So I yeah. will load up these scorecards now. Okay. First things first. Which film which what? film did you prefer? In Bruges. Which film do you think is more rewatchable? In Bruges. I agree with both. Cool. Love that. What do you think was the best moment slash scene across the two films? <clears throat> um by scene, this should be something that you could easily search on YouTube or the scene selection option on a DVD. Okay. Uh, mine would probably be different from that, though. I, Why? It shouldn't span across. Yeah. Uh, so it should be a little, like, like a three-minute scene, basically. Uh, my, I mean, my favourite scene of In Bruges is where um, Ray breaks down crying and on the bench and he says, I killed a little kid because I just think it's beautiful. Um, I don't, I don't know about Lebowski. No, it's just your favorite one across both films. So, oh, what? So I don't have to pick one from Lebowski. No. Okay, yeah, then it's one hundred percent. Um, Colin Farrell crying on um, uh, Brendan Gleeson's shoulder, saying "I killed a little kid," and then but, Gleeson kind of um, kind of says, "I think he says save save the next kid or save the next child yeah. or something like that." Yeah. Mine was the bowling scene. So. The, the, with the gun yeah we're a tie there best quote across the two films <laughs> um, uh, again do I have to do I have to pitch two no no it just has to be one? your favourite across both films Bruges. I'm so biased my favourite quote from In Bruges um, uh My favorite quote is uh, I can't think of a favorite quote off the top of my head because it's all it's all just quotes. Well, it's in Bruges. Maybe, may yeah, in Bruges. Maybe, um, maybe the one with the uh, where he says to the Amer- to the Americans, um, you, know, you sure you want to go up funny, there? But, yeah, I'm not. <laughs> you aren't going. I'm not being funny. He's using fucking elephants. Maybe that. But it's quite bad. Mate, that's the one that, like, when I'm trying to, I'm just playing the movie in my head. That's the one yeah. that's jumping out at me. Things aren't going up there. Mine's a uh, smoky. This is not Nam, as I've just uh, referenced. Yeah. Okay. The MVP across both films. So, who is the single best character across the two films? Um, AKA, it could be if we were doing Lord of the Rings, you could take Aragorn over Aragorn. Frodo if you thought. Yeah. Yeah. Uh oh, annoying because this this question doesn't seem fair because John Goodman's character is bigger and louder and probably more. Why well, is it? He is more eccentric, so he stands out more. If if we the next right. question is best side character, by the way. Um. Well. It, well. Fuck it then. If it's if it's best side character as well, then I'll go. No, um, that's a separate question. So first, um, I need MVP. No, I'm still gonna give it. I'm still gonna give it to Colin Farrell as Ray. I was gonna give it to John Goodman, 
but I can't even remember what the character's name is. So that says that says all it needs to say. And I'll give Brendan Gleeson uh, as Ken to the next question. I'm I'm going with the dude. You're going what? The dude as the MVP. best side. MVP. No, MVP. Best then, side character. Good, I'm going with Bushemi. Oh, Bushemi. <laughs> okay. All right. I thought you were just going to ignore him like a proper... <laughs> just Donnie gets ignored like Jerry, but okay. All right. Which film has more laughs per minute? Uh, laughs per minute, uh, probably Lebowski, to be fair. Agreed. To be fair to it, it is what it is. Yeah. Which film has the best soundtrack? Uh, Lebowski. It's got a good soundtrack. I'm, Much better. I'm, I'm going with Bruges there. <laughs> really? I really like it. Imbruge's soundtrack's not that great. It's just... I've been playing on Spotify today. <laughs> okay, all right. I, I think Lebowski's soundtrack's quite good. But okay. Which do you th- which film do you think has more originality? Um, Whether original, it's something you've not seen before, or original origi- concept. Origina- taken on originality, classic? probably Lebowski, because Imbruge is based off the Dumbwaiter, so you can't claim it as original. So probably the big Lebowski, Green. to be fair. Which film made a bigger impact? On me? No, in general. This one's largely... Uh... Um, I've never met anyone that doesn't like In Bruges, and I've met people that don't like The Big Lebowski, so In Bruges. I think it's Big Lebowski there. Has had more of an impact? Yeah, I think more people... Uh, I disagree. Just, if, if I go down the street and ask more people, have you seen The Big Lebowski or In Bruges? I think more people... No, nah, it seen... depends. I think it depends where you are. If you go to America and you say, do you prefer In Bruges or The Big Lebowski? They're going to say... The Big Lebowski. I think if you walk down the street in London and you say, do you prefer In Bruges or The Big Lebowski? They're going to say In Bruges. Well, especially, or in Ireland, especially. Which film do you think has the better opening scene? Uh, in Bruges. Agreed. With the Burger King washing the blood off my hands. Yeah, better Bruges. ending? In Bruges. Agreed. Yeah. And which film has better chemistry? In Bruges. Agreed also. Nice. Are you doing some tallying? It's 5-4 to Imbruges. Come on! Love that. Let's go. Imbruges did have the benefit of uh, being... Winning the preference vote, which meant it would have yeah. won in a tiebreaker situation as well. Good. I was so biased coming into that. I'd have been so annoyed if that had won. Love that. <laughs> in Bruges goes through to the next round, so that will be in round two of the bracket. Well, I'll leave that to Keenan to uh, to deal yeah. with again. Then just I've looking at the part. questions we had we, in last season, we had uh, extra points to consider after doing the voting, which we'll be doing in round two. One of the questions was, if you had to add either Hayden Christensen or Christian Slater to the film, which would it be? And if you had to add either Harrison Ford or Paul Rudd to the film, which would it be? What? Wait, say all of that again. Last season, we had a question. If you had to add either Hayden Christensen or Christian (laughs) Slater to the film, which would it be? We were trying to bring their careers back. Hayden Christensen would fit in all right with him, Bruce, because they've got the kind of American... Is he Canadian or American? Well, this is it. That works within Bruges anyway. Yeah. 
Yeah. And we also had, if you had to make a spin off TV series in the world of one of the films, which would it be? That's Lebowski. Uh, Lebowski would win, yeah. Lebowski has, has got more players. Yeah. So that goes through to the <clears> next <throat> round. If all goes to plan, I think I said it this week, but next week will be American Gangster versus City of God. Mm-hmm. So be back with us there. I think Alex will be back on the Monday podcast. We've got Arsenal. Chelsea yep. and Liverpool Tottenham this Sunday so and we'll be picking our England squads as well for the World Cup so be sure to tune in then thank you for listening adios thanks guys